0: Good morning, greater all. My name is Gary. I going to welcome you all out. If you're visiting with us, we are especially happy to have you here today. And we have been discussing the gospel over the last four weeks, and uh, we're going to continue this week, and I'll finish the series up next week. And we decided to do that based off of our theme for the year, which is taken from Colossians chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul uh, was pray- had heard about the Colossian church. He'd never been there, never met them, um, but he'd heard about them. And he was praying for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will uh, through the knowledge and understanding that comes through the Spirit. And so our theme for the year is Fill Me. And we've asked the members here at Greater Alton to select that theme or to take a hold of it themselves and to be praying that for themselves as well as others in the church. That we want to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Earlier in the chapter of Colossians 1, it, it talked about the, how, I talked about their faith and about their love and how that faith and love that they were known for came about as them believing and accepting and living the true message of the gospel. And so we've been looking at over the first six weeks of this year the true message of the gospel. It's my tendency over the years to only look at part of the gospel. And I've talked about this repeatedly. We talked about the significance of understanding the Gospel correctly, how there were different Gospels in the first century shortly after the church was started, and then how there's different Gospels today. After that, we talked about the bad news. The Gospel is good news. Why is it good news? Because there's some bad news. And we looked at what happened in the second week. We looked at what happened uh, when sin entered the world. And what was lost. We talked about God's intention for man and for his creation and what was lost and how God has been about restoring those things ever since, and we're in the middle of that restoration project now. Last week we talked I mean we, we talked about Jesus as the Messiah and the prophecies concerning him. Last week um, we talked about how we as followers of Jesus are entitled to new life, a different life. That if you're if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've not been baptized, you don't understand this new life. You you can't you can't have it. it you're just not there yet. Well, you're, you can have it. You can choose to, but you haven't chose to accept it yet and to live it. And today we're talking about something that, in in all honesty, is something uh, as I've shared before um, in my efforts to share the gospel with people. When I'd read this first passage in your notes in Acts chapter two. Uh, I would hope they wouldn't ask me any questions because it involves the Holy Spirit. If you look at this passage in Acts chapter 2, this is what it says. This is the end. This verse here is the conclusion, if you will, to the first presentation of the gospel where the people were convicted about what Peter had to tell them about Jesus being the Messiah and about them killing Him and about Him resurrecting from the dead as had been prophesied. And they say, what should we do? And this is Peter's answer to him. He says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've had no problem talking about baptism. I've had no problem talking about the forgiveness of sins. That's good and that's exciting and that is part of the gospel And that's part of why we're have, we able to have the new life that we talked about last week, because our sins are forgiven, and we have forgiveness moving forward. That even though we do sin, we are forgiven. And we can enter God's presence with confidence and boldness. But when it comes to this gift of the Holy Spirit, when I used to read this with people and studying the Bible with people, I would pray they would not ask me about the Holy Spirit. I didn't understand enough about it. And uh, I didn't want to get into the controversy. See, there's two things about the Spirit. There's the gift of the Holy Spirit, as it's talking about here, that every person who believes in Jesus, accepts Him as Lord and Savior, and is baptized, receives this free gift of the Holy Spirit. And then there's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Everybody receives the gift of the Holy Spirit the, for the Spirit to be in their lives and live in them, but the gifts are something different, okay? And the Bible's very clear. We're not talking about these today. Alan spoke on them last summer in a series we did on the Holy Spirit, but they are, they are administered uh, by the Holy Spirit and different people have different gifts. There's, some of those are miraculous as, re, as recorded in the book of Acts and in 1 Corinthians Uh, The book of 1 Corinthians. Others in Romans 12 are, are not so miraculous, so they don't come across as miraculous when they talk about the gift of administration, or the gift of giving, or the gift of serving. That some of us are predisposed to serve in a certain way. And so guys, we're not talking about the specific gifts. We're talking about the generic gift of the Spirit that we have in our lives, and we want to talk about that here today. You see, guys, in Colossians, this was the church at Colossae. This was very evident. Uh, look in your notes there on Colossians chapter one, verses seven through nine. He's talking about the gospel. He says, "You learned it from Apollos, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit." For this reason. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. You see, guys, it's very evident just from that that short passage that for the church in Colossae, they had an understanding of this gift of the Holy Spirit. And they used this gift of the Holy Spirit. Last summer during the series, I spoke about how uh, a gift, uh, I don't know if you ever had a gift that you got and you, maybe you weren't excited about it or you didn't see the need for it. And so you kind of put it on a shelf. And you know, maybe it was something decorative and you know, that's where it was supposed to go. But you never did anything with it. You know, it just sat on the shelf. And that's the way a lot of times we approach, I approached this gift of the Holy Spirit. It was something I sat on the shelf. And if it was active in my life, I wasn't always consciously aware of it. I didn't seek out its involvement in my life or seek to understand it or, or work with it. I'm sorry, I keep saying it. It is not an it. Work with Him. Okay? And so today what we want to talk about is basically five benefits and how we apply those benefits to our lives. And so we're going to talk about this. And so we want to talk about first, number one, because I have the gift of the Holy Spirit, I have a constant companion a constant companion i don't know about you i don't know what your life's been like but for me i have had to deal with a fear of loneliness in my life now i'm not talking specifically about companionship and will i ever get married or you know will my wife die and i'll die alone or my kids abandon me i'm not talking specifically about that though those have been concerns it's more a fact that i go through life alone that I don't have direction. And I have this because though my parents did the best job they knew how to do, when it came to those formative years, as teenage years and young adult years after you're out of high school, I was not given a lot of direction. My parents divorced during that time and were still figuring out their own lives as, as being divorced. And if you, as I later, learned later in life, they were their understanding of life and what they had growing up was very limited also. And so as a teenager, that's great. You know, Who wants somebody involved in your life, right? As a teenager, you embrace that. Yeah, I get to make my own decisions. I get to do it all myself. But what I discovered was I needed somebody. I need. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what direction to take when it came going to college. You know, I planned my own course. How I was going to get there. Didn't discuss it with anybody per se. And so when my plan didn't work out, I didn't have a backup plan. See, because there's nobody there involved to talk to me about that. And then once college didn't work out at all, I was lost. What do I do in life? How do I prepare? How do I have a career, have a job, make money so I can support a family? And I'm I'm very sensitive to that. Um, I've also struggled with laziness in my life. My laziness was not an unwillingness to work. It was an ignorance of what to do. I don't know if you've ever been in that condition where, hey, hey, what am I supposed to do? That's a dangerous position to be when you're in business for yourself. You've got, you know, how do I know what to do? And so guys, that's me. And and, and having a constant companion of the Holy Spirit has been instrumental in my life. Look at this in John chapter 14. This is Jesus speaking before He has been crucified, before He went back to heaven. He has told them either before this or after this, He tells them, unless I leave... I can't send you this Holy Spirit. And so in John 14, this is what he's saying. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now, I chose the amplified version or the amplified translation of this because when it comes to translating the Bible into English, a lot of times they do one word the Greek word, an English word. And there's sometimes several English words that are needed or that can say the same thing in a little bit different way. In the amplified version, what you find is all the words in parentheses is them amplifying it. They're saying, listen, one word doesn't do it justice here. We need to expound upon it, and we're acknowledging that we're breaking the rules of normal translation, but we want you to have these other words. And so that's what he says. He will give you another helper, comforter, advocate. Intercessor, Counselor, Strengthener, stand by to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive and take this to heart because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He, the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be in you. Guys, I find that very exciting. As a guy that was looking for direction early in life and wondering what to do, to know that I have somebody with me 24 hours a day for the rest of my life as a counselor, as a strengthener. The Greek word there actually means one who runs alongside to give aid. Boy, that's nice. That's exciting to have. This is what the Holy Spirit is there to take care of in our life. It's a source of constant direction, even in some of the most minute details of my life. And so, guys, that's the benefit of it. So, what does that mean? It means if I have a constant companion, so I give up my independence. You see, this is very anti-American, is it not? I mean, American, you know, you can do it yourself. You don't need anybody else. You can stand on your own two feet. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can work hard. You can do this. And it creates this independence that says I don't need anything. And, I, and honestly, for believers, it can create an independence where we don't take advantage of this companion who is beside us all the time. Look at this passage in Philippians chapter 2. This is what it says. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, some translations say any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What is he saying? He's saying if you've received any fellowship from the Spirit, if you are enjoying and partaking of this constant companion in your life, then you need to be of the same mind and not be independent. Don't look just to your own interests and your own needs, but look to the interests of others. Guys, if you're going to take advantage of the Holy Spirit as your constant companion, you're going to lose your independence. And that's going to further go on, uh, as we're going to see here in a minute. But you see, guys, we have a guide. And our guide is pointing us in one clear direction. And that clear direction is to die to myself. You may not realize it. You may forget it. You may wonder, what is the Holy Spirit trying to do? It's, it's running alongside. us, trying to give us aid. Well, when you made the decision that you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you were baptized into Him, you made a commitment that He was going to be Lord of your life. And that's the direction. That's what the Holy Spirit is there to help you do. And you need that. Uh, the second thing, guys, under this point, under this benefit, is not only do I give up my independence, but I seek direction. I seek direction. In Romans chapter eight, this is what it says: Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires you see guys if my mind is set on what the spirit desires i am seeking his direction in my life i am looking for him to guide me sometimes in even the most minute details of my life and you guys i've got to i've got to be seeking that i've got to be asking for that and as we're going to see later on i can ignore the holy spirit But if I have this this helper, this companion alongside of me, He's there for a reason and it's to give me direction and I need to seek the direction. And guys, we need to understand something. The Holy Spirit often gives us direction one step at a time. I believe you see this illustrated very clearly in uh, Acts chapter 8 where you see a preacher there by the name of Philip. Uh, he had been preaching down in Samaria, had a great ministry. Lots of people were following Jesus as a result of his preaching. The church was getting big. They even brought the big guns, the apostles down from Jerusalem to check out what's going on. Everything's good. And then all of a sudden in the middle of chapter 8, it says the Spirit told Philip to leave that ministry and to go down to the desert road that leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now that's all he tells him. Just go down to this desert road. Leave this mass of people and go down to an isolated road. Now, when he gets there, he is then told there's a chariot where there's a important official from Ethiopia reading the reading the book of Isaiah the prophet or the book of Isaiah. And and all the spirit just tells him go up to that chariot. Doesn't tell him what else to do. I think by that point. Uh, Philip kind of figured it out when he heard him reading the Bible. He says, hey, do you understand what you're, sa- what you're reading there? But guys, he does it one step at a time. And guys, that's the way the direction gives. The Holy Spirit gives direction. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 25 about the end of time when He's going to separate people. The goats on His left and the sheep on His right. And He says to both groups, He's going to say something very similar. The ones on the left who are destined for destruction, he's going to tell them, I was thirsty and you did not give me something to drink. I was hungry and you did not give me something to eat. I was in jail and you did not visit me. And the ones on the right, he's going to say, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. You gave me something to eat. You visited me when I was in prison. And both groups are going to say the same thing. They're going to say, when did we do this for you? When did we do this for you? And he's going to say, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it for me. Meaning, any person that's thirsty and you give them something to drink, you're doing it to Jesus. And I bring that story up, guys, because that's the way the Spirit leads. When you are seeking direction, it tells you to do one small thing at a time. And one small thing that may seem very insignificant. But that's what the Spirit's there for, because the Spirit is there to help you satisfy your Master. Second thing, guys, benefit we have from the Spirit is I have a pace setter, so I keep in step. Yesterday I was watching the Milrose Games on TV. How many of you know what the Milrose Games are? Not a single hand. Wow, it's been going on for decades in New York City. It's an indoor track meet, by the way. You ever heard of the Wanamaker Mile? Yeah, that's at the Millrose Games. Don't ask me who Wanamaker is; I don't know that much about it. But I turned on the TV, I was channel surfing, and I find the Millrose Games. And being a track and field nut, I watched it. And when the uh the distance events came on, specifically the women's 3,000 meter run, and the announcers were talking, and they say, "Well," The rabbit in the race is supposed to take them through 70-second, 400-meter intervals. That's the pace that the leaders have asked for. They've basically taken a poll of all the top runners say, how fast do you want to run? And they said, we want to run 8 minutes and 50 seconds. Well, what pace do you want the rabbit to lead you through? We want them to run 70-second, 400 meters, which is 35-second laps because it's a 200-meter lap. And that's what they did. Now in that race it was very interesting because all of the like the top eight or ten runners all came in below that eight fifty mark. I mean the 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 winners, the top four runners were all at like eight minutes and forty-one seconds. Well below it. The rabbit ran the pace and they took it off. When it came time for the women's mile, the complete opposite took place. They said the rabbit's supposed to go through in two minutes and twelve seconds for the first eight hundred meters. And uh, they're wanting to run the mile in whatever that comes out to. In the low 420s. And when the rabbit goes through at 212, they were four to five to six seconds behind the rabbit. For whatever reason, the leaders chose not to try to keep pace with the rabbit. You see, guys, in the race, they want a rabbit to tell them the pace to run because they want to run a fast pace and they don't want to have to do the work to do it. And they ask the rabbit what to do. Now, unlike that, we have a pace setter in our lives, and it's called the Holy Spirit. If you look at this passage here in Galatians chapter 5, there's three verses here that we want to read. In verse 16 it says, "...so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." Now, very clearly, guys, this is just like those runners. If they would have told them in that 3,000-meter race, Stay close to the rabbit and you will run 8 minutes and 50 seconds or less. Guys, we're like that, or we should be like that, in the sense that we want to not sin. That should be our goal, that should be our desire, to not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Alright? And he goes on here in verses 25 and 26, it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You see, guys, if you have your mind set on what the Spirit desires, He's going to show you. And you have a choice to make of whether or not you're going to keep in step. The really exciting part about this is, for a guy like me, is I don't have to decide what to do. You know, I don't have to decide in the moment what to do because the Holy Spirit's going to tell me what to do. I've shared with you uh, over the past couple of years about my mother and her declining health and uh, the valuable teaching she is giving me in my life. She is teaching me patience. And the other day I was on the phone with her and I... I try to keep in step with the Spirit. I know patience is a fruit of the Spirit and love is a fruit of the Spirit. And I know as my parents get older, their mind isn't what it used to be and they forget things and they're impatient. And my tendency is to get irritated very quickly. Especially when it's been going on and on and on. And the other day, and I think I do a pretty good job. I really do. Uh, my wife points it out when I'm not. But the other day I was on the phone and I'm talking to her, my mom on the phone and she says something and we've been over backwards. We help her and and we, we helped her move from one apartment to the next two weeks ago. And she's in a wheelchair and she can't find her George Foreman grill. Okay, a little bitty grill. And she wants her George, she uses it all the time. That's what she says anyway. And she gets me on the phone and I, you know, we don't know where it's at. We went through this before when she moved before and she carried on for, 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 for months about her summer skirts and blouses, which she doesn't gonna, she's not gonna wear anyway. When we moved her, we found them and she had been telling us for two years that the movers had stolen them. I mean, this is what we're dealing with. And so now it's, now we've just helped her move, went out of our way, spent a lot of time and effort. And now she's angry about her George Foreman grill and she says and i better get it asap and i about lost it mom and i caught myself i didn't have to question i knew my reaction was wrong i knew my reaction was sinful i could be firm with my mom i can tell her mom don't talk to me that way i can tell your mom we're helping y'all you, you can but i have no the spirit has no desire for me to go off on my mom. Especially in her condition. And guys, that's one of the exciting steps. I just had a choice to make. Am I going to keep in step with the Spirit? Am I going to listen to what the Spirit says? Third thing, guys. Third benefit is that I have power. I have power. In Ephesians 1, guys, this is what it says. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. See guys, we have a power that's available to us through this Holy Spirit. And now, what does that mean? I have power, so I live powerfully. I asked this question last week when I was talking about living new life, and we were looking at this passage, and I asked, how powerful do you feel? I mean, when you get up in the morning, do you feel like I can live a powerful life? Now, by power, I just want to make sure I'm clear here. Tim helped me with this at the first service. The power we're talking about here is the power to change. is the power to be transformed. To live the new life that we talked about last week. We've been given a power to do that. You see, guys... I want to talk about a subject that I always get a response from everybody for, them, and that is worry. Whenever I start talking about worry or ask how many of you worry or have a struggle with worry, I see heads start going, "Oh yes," when I'm up here, just multiple ones because it is so common. it is so it is it is so real and it's still there. It's such an easy temptation and easy sin to get into. You see, I can tell you what the Spirit desires about each of us worrying. Do you know what it is? He doesn't want you to worry. you know why I know that? Because in Matthew 6, Jesus said three little words. Do not worry. I know that is the Spirit's desire. I also know that Philippians 4 says, do not be anxious about anything. Again, telling me do not worry. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many worry? How many of you struggle with that or are tempted with that? I, I, I understand that. I do. But now one of two things has happened here, guys. Either Jesus has asked us to do something that is impossible for us to do, or He's given us the power to do it. And the question is, are we going to exercise that power? And that's what the Holy Spirit is in your life for. Is to give you the power to change, to transform, to live specifically a worry-free life. There's a whole lot more to it than that, guys. I believe every one of us have addictions of one form or another. There's not just chemical addictions out there in the world. There's other addictions that exist. Something you know, overeating exists. Watching TV is an addiction. Uh, addicted to your leisure time. Addicted to your job. There's all kinds of addictions. Addictions to gambling. You name it, there are addictions out there. But I want to let you know, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to deal with whatever's in your life. You see, either, either He has, or Jesus is a liar. I believe we have the power to do this. Fourth thing, guys. Well, let me just ask you before I move on, before I move on, I just want to ask you, are you experiencing this power in your daily life? I mean, are you changing? Is is the Holy Spirit changing you in some capacity? If you look at the verses in Galatians 5 that we didn't read, verses 17 down through 24, it contrasts the fruits of the Spirit and the fruits of the sinful nature. And you want to know if you're living powerfully. All you've got to do is go through those two lists and go, which of these are showing up more and which of these are showing up less? If the fruits of the Spirit are showing up more, you're living powerfully. But if the fruits of the sinful nature that you've always struggled with are still there in the same amount, you're not gaining any victory over them, you're not living powerfully. You're not taking advantage of the power that is there in your life. Number four, benefit of the Spirit is I have a fire within me. Now what do you mean by a fire? I have a compulsion. I have an inner drive. It says the Holy Spirit is indwelling, lives inside of us. In First Thessalonians 5:19, it says, "Do not quench the Spirit." You see, guys, the Spirit is in you like a fire, and you have a choice: you're either going to feed it or you're going to quench it. You're going to put it out. Tim's talked about many times about he calls it a, a Holy Spirit nudge, a holy nudge, a holy urge. And guys, I believe that's the Holy Spirit. When you have the urge, the thought, and sometimes it's even a compulsion to do the right thing or to do something, you have a choice that you are going to make. Are you going to quench that flame or are you going to feed it? And that goes on many things. I was telling this story a couple of weeks ago about my uh, underwear drawer money, uh, which is my money to spend frivolously any way I want. and And the Holy Spirit has, has told me to give it away. And so I've done that, you know. Uh, I've gone through that. But one of the stories in that in that situation, uh, I was on Saturday morning. I was down in Collins at my car wash. It's below freezing. It's about ten o'clock in the morning, and I see a guy walk out of the woods by the interstate with a backpack on. Now this isn't a hiker, all right. This is clearly a homeless person who's traveling. And so I watch him, wondering what's going on, where he's coming from, where he's headed to. I see that he goes into Burger King. Okay, he's going to a warm spot. He should be okay. He's probably got a little bit of money. It's not as bad a situation as I I think it should be. And so I pull on out without talking to the man, without without doing anything for him, and I get about a quarter mile down the road, and you know what I have to do? i got to turn around. Why? Because I'm trying to quench the Spirit's fire, and I I don't want to do that. He's saying, look, Gary, I put somebody in your way. You got that money in your wallet to help people and I'm showing you somebody and you're ignoring me. And so I had to turn back and found out what was going on, gave him some money, went on my way. But guys, that's the way the Holy Spirit is. It's guiding you into doing the right thing. See, we tend to rationalize not doing the right thing, don't we? We do. It doesn't matter what it is. If the Bible says to help somebody, you know, and it's a hitchhiker, we think, no, they're a serial killer. I might get robbed. That would not be being a good steward of God's blessings. I should not do it. Alright? And then, or, or, or it comes up and it says, the Bible says that to overlook an insult promotes love. And so we say, no, that person needs to learn. And so we don't overlook an insult. We don't practice overlooking an insult. You know, the other day when I was tempted to go off on my mom, I wanted to rationalize it. This, this is ridiculous. And I couldn't do that. So guys, what do you do? If I have a fire within me, so I fan the flames. I fan the flames. In second Timothy chapter 1, Paul encourages Timothy to do this. He's not talking he's talking about a specific gift here, not just the general gift of, but I believe it applies. He says, "For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline." You see guys, that's the situation do you fan the flame? You see, typically, you, you want to feel like you've done something once and I've got it. You know? And I've listened once and that's the end of the story and God's saying, no, I want you to fan the flame. I told the story about, uh, two weeks ago about my wife and I talking, uh, after the sale of our car wash and we had some money and we talked about how neat it would be to, to give a hundred dollars to this lady, you know, and we were just talking in general about wanting, honestly, the Greater Alton Church by us to be known for that kind of people that just help people. And we named a specific lady across in Gordon Edwardsville. I said, how cool would it be to give her $100? And then I'm sitting in the bank with a pocket full of money, and guess who walks in? And I'm like, I guess God wants me to give her some money. And so I gave her $200. Why? I want to fan the flame. Later on, I had done something else. I'd given some money away, and I'm talking to Alan about it, and I'm telling him, and Alan says that in typical Alan fashion, I might add. He says, that's good. I don't, I don't want to take anything away from that. But I want to point you at Galatians chapter 6. And Galatians chapter 6 says, let us not become weary in doing good, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. What does that mean? Your generosity needs to go to the family of God first. And so Alan's, you know, he's saying, we, you know, hey, there's some family that need, need money too. There's some family that need help too. And so I, I took that challenge. And we've given some, given money away to people here in the family of, at greater Alton. And you see guys, we want to, I want to fan the flame. When the Holy Spirit is a, is a flame within me, I want to fan it. And that carries over guys to much more than just helping people in need. That carries over to my level of patience. That carries over to my overlooking an insult. You see, guys, because just like the need to give is never-ending, the need to be patient and the need to overlook insults is also never-ending. So there, last thing, guys, number five, the last benefit of the Holy Spirit we want to talk about is that I have a taste of the future. We ran out of space in the notes. There's five passages there, or six that are referenced. And uh, the first three say very similar things. Uh, in 2 Corinthians one twenty-two, it talks about He put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians 5 say things very similar. That the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Hebrews 6 talks about having the ability to taste the Holy Spirit and taste the powers of the coming age. And you see, guys, what he's saying is that our having the Holy Spirit in our life is a deposit guaranteeing something is to come. And in our language today, it means something better is to come. If something better is to come. If you've ever sold a piece of property or a car and somebody wanted you to hold it, they gave you a deposit. What does that mean? You're going to get a whole bunch more money later on. And if they don't, you get to keep it. It means something better is to come. Guys, look at this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this passage gets a little more specific for us. It makes the connection between what's coming and what we do now. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, is what it says, It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. Here it comes. It says, In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. You see, guys, what he's saying is what we do now impacts the future. I mean, plain as day, what is he saying? Tell the rich to be good and Good deeds, so they're because they're laying a foundation for the age to come. They're, lay, they're laying a foundation. What's a foundation for? Well, it's to build on. It's to do more on. Guys, we just have a taste of what's coming. And because I have a taste of the future, guys, so I have hope. I have hope. Look at this passage in Romans chapter 8. It says, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is not seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they've already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You see, guys, that's the very nature of hope. Is that you're expecting something better in the future. Because if you already have it, there's nothing to hope for. You already got it. And guys, hope is a significant part of the Gospel. I encourage you just to do a word search on the word hope, and you'll see how accurate it is and how connected it is with us living the life that God wants us to live as believers. We've got to have that hope. See guys, there's more to come. We just have a taste of it right now. In the future, after Jesus comes back, we get it all. We get it all. So guys, as as we're closing out today, I just want to ask you, how are you doing at using the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life? At taking advantage of the benefits that are there? I mean, do you seek the direction of the Holy Spirit as a constant companion on on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute basis? Do you find yourself living powerfully and having... The power to be transformed into a different person to where the fruits of the Spirit are more evident in your life than the fruits of the sinful nature. And that's a growing thing. That's power. Guys, is there compulsion within you? Do you realize the Holy Spirit is urging you on what to do in specific situations? And are you fanning the flame of that? And then finally, guys, do you have hope? Or do you have hope of what's to come based off what you're experiencing of the Holy Spirit now? Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, I thank You. I am amazed at the more I understand how exciting it is. Father, I used to fear talking about Your Holy Spirit and questions being asked about Your Holy Spirit and now it excites me on a daily basis because I'm not having to go through life alone. I'm able to trust You. I'm able to understand You. You're guiding me into all truth through Your Spirit. And Father, I don't have to have a plan for my day. (laughs) And Father, when my plan gets disrupted, I understand that Your Holy Spirit's working. Father, I am amazed at what you've done. And Father, I am excited about the distant future after Jesus comes back. And I'm excited about the few days I have left on this earth because of this gift that you've given us. Father, I want to pray that we can understand it and we can experience it and we can share it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.